The opinions expressed in Fintech in Focus News and Views are those of the speakers only and do not necessarily reflect the views of Corpay or Fleetcore Incorporated. Welcome to Fintech in Focus News and Views. I'm Ron Nachman. This podcast explores B2B payments and AP in the age of automation. As electronic payments gain traction with more AP teams working remotely, there's a lot to talk about. We'd love to hear your feedback and suggestions. Please email us at podcast at corepay.com. That's podcast at C-O-R-P-A-Y.com. Because accounts payable teams generally still make payments by paper check and handle vendor support on their own, most companies remain vulnerable to payment fraud. The remote work era brought on by the COVID pandemic has made it easier for criminals to execute payment fraud attacks. For most companies, it's not a matter of if they'll face payment fraud, but when. Tony Carruthers is a security systems engineer at Corpay with three decades of communication security experience under his belt. I wanted to get his insights on the current state of B2B payment security and payment fraud. Here's what he said. Thanks for joining us, Tony. We'll soon see the usual industry reports published on the state of security and payment fraud in 2021. Now, you're a highly experienced information security systems engineer. Give us a snapshot of what's happening with payment fraud over the past year or two. In the last year or two, we've seen a shift away from the technical-based attack. And, and we started to see this shift last year, and we're seeing it even more today. And that introduces a whole new element of, uh, of risk and information security that organ- organizations often, o- that often overlook, and that's the people aspect. I expect we're going to hear more about the finance industry being heavily targeted. The initial reports that are just now starting to come out are showing that the financial vertical, the financial industries are one of the top three targeted in the country today. So people are starting, the bad actors are starting to realize uh, where they can show me the money. They're after it. They're going to find it. And as we grow in popularity and business and we draw more attention, uh, we realize there's a risk involved with that. That's part of the evolution of an organization today that every organization has to do. So the financial services industry is now top three in terms of being attacked, and they were not before? That's correct. Yes. Right now, it's, it's, um, it's estimated that 22% of the phishing campaigns that are executed today are against the finance industry alone. Um, that is a very, very significant number. It, it, and, and most concerning is a growing trend. That's, that's the greater concern is this is a growing number. And as somebody as in the industry, it's, it's something we want to be aware of and understand how that's evolving so that we can shift accordingly. Have there been some vulnerabilities exposed in that industry? Yes. Um, and, and the biggest reason I would say that um, it's being tagged right now is, is the shift in, in uh, the way businesses do business today. 15, 25 years ago, there was a lot of discussion around EDI or electronic data interchange. And we don't have those frameworks today. And the bad actors know that. So they will oftentimes leverage what they know and what they understand about human biases to execute pretty sophisticated attacks. So let's talk about tactics and the shift that bad actors have taken over the past 12 to 24 months. 
You seem to say that fraudsters are now more interested in using people than technology when they operate. Can you explain this a bit and talk about the repercussions? So any system that is that is is considered a, a functioning or a mature system by, by quality or business standards is going to consist of three things. You're going to have people, you're going to have technology, and you are going to have process. And those three things have to work together. Now, for many, many years, bad actors have attacked the technology space directly on because vendors hadn't quite caught up to developing secure code, developing secure applications to operate in the hostile environment that we know as the internet today. That's a question I often pose to developers and and people who want to build applications. I will ask them, is your application designed to work in a hostile environment? Because that's where it's going. As vendors have begun to understand that, they've hardened their systems to the point where it's very, very inefficient for a bad actor to try and take on an organization from a technology-based attack alone. So they they have to use the other two aspects to help gain leverage. Now, three, four years ago is when we really started seeing uh, ransomware start to show its ugly head. And, and, and we know that's not going away anytime soon. The reason that is successful is because it involves people and it involves technology. And it involves process as well, because there's I can't think of any phishing attacks that do not exploit a known vulnerability that exists already in the system. Of course, the, the vulnerability is, is a technology-based risk as well. But the bad actors understand that more times, most times where we, we don't see the whole picture. We're, we're very, very focused. We have our blinders on and we're, we're focusing on technology because that's where the problem is. Well, no, it's, it's not. As a matter of fact, most compromises, I was reading an article today, said that the compromises that occur are a result of human nature in a non-malicious manner. You take that and you add the confusion of remote work. What is our status today in regards to going back to the building? Once bad actors start seeing the shift to go back to the building, we can see quite the opposite trend, same tactic, same effect, as we did when the first when we first started going all remote. Bad actors saw that we were, were going remote and we were hungry for details even back then about what's going to happen, when are we coming back, because nobody really knew. Bad actors understand that, and so they would execute phishing campaigns based upon that uh, very fact alone. The bad actors are starting to understand the human element more and, and exploiting that. One other thing that shifted is, as we're talking about this, a year and a half ago, and, and for quite some time, Microsoft was the largest spoof email in phishing attacks. So you get a fake email from a bad actor that says, keep my password, or you need to act now because you're running out of mailbox space or drive space. Those are messages from Microsoft that have been spoofed with with bad links or malicious attachments or something like that. Now, DHL delivery service has surpassed Microsoft, and that is a result of the shift in our working environment, how we do business, how we work, because deliveries have become much, much more prominent and our daily professional lives and personal too, than they were two years, three years, four years back. That's a great example of bad actors understanding the landscape and being able to tailor and customize their attacks to exploit human nature. Let's talk email. Email has been around in its current form for over a quarter century now. So it seems kind of old hat. Yet, business email compromise or BEC 
is a key method of payment fraud now. Explain how email is used by bad actors today and how we can act against this kind of attack. So a business email compromise is a very complex, is oftentimes a very complex and well-designed and thought-out plan. And what they will do, what a bad actor will do is research an organization, their business partners, their processes. It's, it's actually a very, very deep, intense reconnaissance gathering effort. That's why information security is often referred to as a counterintelligence function, because we want to be aware of information that's out there that bad actors could use. So they're very good at gathering that information and formulating emails in which there's no malware involved. There's no technology involved. It is simply being able to produce documentation. And we see a, a long email threads that add validity and weight to the email. And when it comes into core pay, what those most often look like is we will see a bad actor posing as a vendor requesting to change banking information. And they are able to take that position. Sometimes they actually compromise the organization and take control of the comptroller's email, leverage the attack from there. Maybe they just spoof it from another mail server. We, we've seen both sides of the house. But the thing to remember here is there's no technology that's going to effectively stop that. Business email compromise is a human-based attack. One of the things that is starting to come out is regarding the importance of, of addressing the business email compromise. And the way we uh, address that here at Corpe is through continuous operational briefings where somebody, maybe somebody from a, a military background may understand this as a threat briefing. Because what I am doing and, and my counterparts in the organization are doing is we're taking real world attack attempts that we have captured, blocked, and we provide those as evidence and discussion to the organization, not just the IT teams, but to the organization so they can understand how the attacks are coming in, what they look like. Um, we're sharing the knowledge and the information to allow the organization to raise the conscious level of information security. Security is a mindset. It, it's a culture. It's a way of thinking that has to be fostered and, and brought to the table. This is something that I'm very passionate about myself because when I have these discussions, Discussions, what comes to light is, hey, you know, what, I, what I'm learning here, I can also take in my personal life. You know, my parents had this problem and, and okay, now it makes sense. Those, those are big wins for us and big losses for the bad guys. They operate in chaos and confusion. And once we understand that, we have a much better perspective to address those situations. Then, of course, there's physical security like securing one's laptop. This is especially important even in this remote work era, correct? Absolutely. It's, it's even more so now it's important because we're moving hardware assets where we normally would not have moved them before. Um, oftentimes, because we find it more convenient now that we have a laptop, we want to take a vacation, we take our laptop with us. And guess what? If we had a desktop, that probably wouldn't have happened. And it's probably the more healthy way to approach the work-life balance. But the bottom line is physical security is, is foundational to all other security efforts. If I was to perform a security assessment against the organization, step one is physical. I have to look at the physical security of the organization because the ability to gain unfettered access at the hardware level allows a bad actor to do literally anything. There are very, very complex attacks that are almost impossible to detect that are exploited at the, at the hardware level. 
And most oftentimes you'll see those take place at the nation state level where you're talking about supply chain intervention and, and those kinds of things. Really, really nasty game. But they understand, they the bad actors understand the risk and the gain and those sorts of things that come from that era. Um, a great example was in the 80s, there was uh, in Germany, there was a massive compromise of information because nobody had thought to properly destroy the toner cartridges that were at play. Go back even further. Typewriter ribbons contained sensitive information that we had to ensure the destruction of. And that, that's all physical security. The, the risk is the same. It's just the information is laying in a different place. So we have to take different approaches and things like that. But physical security is, is foundational to everything, no matter whether we are based in a headquarters building or um, going all remote as we are now. If you look back historically on the IT side of the house, you'll see organizations were built with what we call a, a castle and moat or eggshell defense, where they have very, very stiff well-developed exterior, but you make it past the hard shell, you make it past the first layer and things get kind of squishy. That's something that we starting to move away from. Enterprises are realizing the risk and, and the shortcomings of that type of architecture in this day and age. So a lot of times when that occurs, you're seeing a shift of responsibility to the cloud. I'm sorry, a shift of applications to the cloud, which shifts the responsibility of physical security to the cloud provider. And organizations can, can actually gain a significant amount of, 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 of risk mitigation in that fact, because data center security is far, far superior to most businesses today. We absolutely have to keep that in mind. And, and part of the culture, the mindset is, as we are moving from place to place and we're moving, we're delivering checks or we're, we're bringing payroll or we're going to visit somebody for the holidays and we're taking our laptop with us. Great. If you want to go do some shopping on the way to Thanksgiving dinner, just make sure the laptop is locked up out of sight so that somebody walking by can't see it and, and becomes an easy target. So those are the kind of things that we have to keep in mind today. Now, we should mention data breaches. Although payment fraud criminals now rely more on people-centered tactics like weaponizing email, data breaches are still a constant threat, aren't they? Oh yes, very much so. And the bad actors have, have found other ways to exploit that particular, um, that particular area. So um, everybody understands ransomware. The files are rewritten, they're encrypted. You have to pay the ransom to get the key to de-encrypt them. Well, what's come to fruition is some organizations took the tack that, no, we're not gonna pay. We have backups and we, we've successfully restored, so we're not gonna, we're not gonna pay. We've removed the vulnerability that allowed you in, so we, we consider the matter resolved. The bad actors will come around and they will say, okay, we understand that, but while we encrypted your data, we were also siphoning it off. So now we have it in unencrypted format, and unless you pay us, we will release that to the public. So now they've added another layer where we have defense in depth, they have attacks in depth, they, they're beginning to shift their tactics. And that's one of the ways, something that's coming new. And it's an additional way that they've found to monetize information. And, uh, you know, if you go back two, three years ago, I was reading an article, and I can't remember, medical records are worth $12, social security numbers are worth $3. 
um, driver's license, $5. Those are amounts that would be paid on the dark web for lists of that information per record. So if you've got a thousand driver's license, full name, address, driver's license, you could make a, a reasonable little nice vacation money, you know. Bad actors are evolving not only in the way they execute an attack, but how they leverage their gains in an in a nefarious way against an organization. Um, you, I, I would expect sometime soon where we run into, if we haven't seen it, a bad actor compromises some intellectual property, something very, very, let's say the recipe for Coca-Cola. You pay me this for this or I will release it. Sounds like almost like an old mafia, <laughs> New York City running the, you know, running a racket. But essentially, that's what it is. It's a crime. So to round up, what strategies do you think payment fraud criminals will want to use in 2022? And how should companies be combating fraud? I see a continuation of business email compromise uh, leading the way, at least in attacks against financial organizations. The other thing that we can expect to see, and this is this is industry agnostic, is we are seeing a trend where bad actors are actually going backwards in time to find old vulnerabilities that exist within applications. For example, there was one released in 2021 that leveraged Morse code. You would embed Morse code into a, a, a data stream, and there was a Java interpreter that was vulnerable and it, it allowed bad actors. So they're looking every way they can, and they're exploring every niche. Uh, I think the Log4j vulnerability that we saw come around was a great example of that. That's something that's been around for a long time and ignored. So we're going to, I think we're going to see a lot of that. But what I think the industry is going to miss out on is the most effective way to protect against what's coming, and that is the human element. We, we, have, to, we have to raise the course of the security mindset across the board. I, I could use phrases like weakest link and, and th those kinds of things. And, and that's great. But what we need to do is we need to get very, very real about the attacks, what they're throwing at us. And, and as I mentioned earlier, the, the biweekly ops discussions that we have here at Corpay, they're open to everybody. And they're not slides. They're not the normal change of password. We're putting forth real world attack attempts up on the screen and as a group, as a peer review group format, we tear it apart so that everybody has a better understanding. I have a better understanding of the business process. I can talk the technical attack, but I need help on the business process side. So engaging in those conversations, we're actually able to understand, they understand the security perspective, I understand the business perspective now, and between the, the, between the groups, we're able to come back with a very, very effective security strategy that not only protects the organization, but allows us, enables us to be more agile, to act quicker, because we, we know where our limits are. We're not going to outrun our headlights. That was Tony Carruthers. And this has been Fintech in Focus News and Views, produced by Corpe. The next Fintech in Focus episode, People Power, comes out in two weeks. Look out for it. And if you have any feedback or suggestions, we'd love to hear from you. Just email us at podcast at corpay.com. That's podcast at C-O-R-P-A-Y dot com. For Fintech in Focus, I'm Ron Nachman. Thanks for listening.